Once you turn, uh, once you stand and turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter four, we're going to be in verses uh, fourteen through the end of the chapter. And today, Bruce is concluding his series on joy on the journey with a message on gospel generosity. So again, we're going to be in Philippians chapter four, verses fourteen through twenty-three. That's page one thousand one hundred sixty-seven in your pew Bible. It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father God, we just come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you that um, that every good and perfect gift does come from you and that you do supply our needs. And God, just help us to um, be able to be generous and to listen with open ears and apply with our hearts and our hands. And God, just um, help us to trust in you and trust you more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I venture to say that for most people, and I'm sure it is true for most of you here this morning, money is a huge, huge issue. And for others, it's a, it's a driving issue. And it's a driving issue either because they don't have it, and now they're wasting their life to get more and more of it, or because they do have it, but it controls their life. It seems some people try to separate what we believe in our hearts from how we actually behave with our money. And so in these closing verses here in the book of Philippians, Paul takes time out in this letter to thank the church for putting their money where their faith is. That is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, by which they had been redeemed from their sins and set apart as saints in Jesus Christ. Now, as we come to the end of this series, as we close out this series in the book of Philippians, I I want to do the same thing that Paul is doing here to the church of Philippi. I, I want to take a few minutes and just say thank you, LifeBridge. Thank you for putting your money where your faith is. Uh, I have been rather amazed by the generosity of our church, especially over the last 18 months as you have continued to give in such uncertain times, first in the pandemic and now as inflation skyrockets. And so thank you. I, 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 in fact, I, it, I never cease to be amazed by your generosity and your regular faithful giving. In fact, last year, during the pandemic, you gave way above and beyond to our benevolence 
ministry alone. To help people in need, you have given faithfully to, uh, through our Faith Promise missions to support missions, to help support our global partners in advancing the gospel. And this year, in the midst of rising inflation, you continue to give faithfully and generously. In fact, as of uh, the second quarter, the end of the second quarter, which ended uh, into June, we are tracking right on budget uh, at the midpoint of our year here in 2021. Our God has blessed us. Our God has provided so abundantly, and so I am very, very thankful to the Lord. I'm very thankful to you, to LifeBridge, for responding, if I can say it, with such gospel generosity in your giving. But have you ever wondered, has it ever crossed your mind, what difference does my giving really make? In fact, does it even make a difference? Uh, In fact, you might be here, you might be new to our church in the last six months or year. Listen, that's a great question to ask. That's a very legitimate question to ask. What difference does giving make at this church? Or maybe you've been a long-time attender or member here, and you've questioned if your giving even makes a difference. After all, you may be thinking, listen, I have limited resources, so what difference does my little bit of giving make to LifeBridge? Again, that's a very good question to ask. It's even, it's, it's, and it's a great question to answer. And I want to answer that question right here from the last ten verses in Philippians. And here's what we're going to see by what Paul tells the Philippian church. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. What difference does my giving make? And so whether you're here this morning and you give a lot, or whether you give a little, you're giving through LifeBridge to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. It makes a difference practically, it makes a difference spiritually, and it makes a difference eternally. That is what we are going to see in these ten verses here. Now, Philippians, this book that we have been in for quite some time, it is Paul's thank you letter to the church of Philippi, and specifically for their gospel generosity in supporting Paul to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and yes, while while the theme of this letter is joy, joy in the journey, as we have called this series, despite being confined to house arrest in Rome, awaiting a trial in where he has no idea if he's going to be set free or sentenced to death, Paul's joy is saturated throughout this letter. The church of Philippi had heard about Paul's situation in Rome. They had heard he's under house arrest, and so they took up a love offering, and they sent this love offering with Epaphroditus to deliver to Paul there in Rome. Paul sent Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter that he wrote to deliver to the church. And Paul does not address the offering they sent to him, though, until the very last part of the letter. Somewhat interesting. We've covered four chapters in this letter, and Paul is now finally coming to his thank you for their love offering, for their generosity to him. Paul talks about their financial gift. From a practical perspective, he talks about it from a spiritual perspective, and he also talks about it from an eternal perspective. Paul wants to assure the Philippian believers here. And in doing so, he wants to assure us here at LifeBridge. He wants to assure you 
who give to the Lord through our church, that your giving, it really does make a difference. You say, how? Well, let me show you how. Number one, giving makes us partners in the gospel. That's the first difference your giving makes. It makes you a partner in the gospel. And for this reason, giving is so much more than just writing a check or making a transaction online. It is about participating in a partnership to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says of the Philippian church in verse 14, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. You see, the Philippians cared about the Apostle Paul. And their concern for Paul went way beyond mere sentiment. In fact, this word shared, is, it's an interesting word. It means uh, that they shared in Paul's troubles, and specifically, they did so through their financial support. And Paul, as we saw last Sunday, he is super grateful for their concern, according to verse 10. Now, I have to be honest with you. The idea of share my trouble is a rather peculiar way to describe the Philippians' financial support. This word share, it's a word that Paul has already used before in this letter. In fact, you go back to chapter 1, and there he uses the same Greek word to describe their partnership, that is the Philippians, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there in verses 5 and 7. You may be asking, well, how did the Philippians share Paul's troubles? Well, look what Paul says here in chapter 4 of Philippians in verses 15 and 16. He says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And so no wonder Paul loved this church. Listen, their generosity goes a long way back. In fact, When Paul says, in the beginning of the gospel, that is in the beginning. When Paul planted the church with the gospel, this church remained loyal to Paul. They they remained supportive of Paul, Paul, sending him money from from time to time as was needed. And so when Paul left Philippi for Thessalonica, the Philippian church was already helping him. In fact, Paul says that no other church entered such partnership with him in giving and receiving. Now, what's interesting, the Philippian church was not a wealthy church. In fact, they were a poor church in today's, we might say, vernacular. They were an impoverished church, and even though many of them were not wealthy, they had earned a reputation for giving sacrificially, giving generously, and even cheerfully to support Paul's mission of advancing the gospel. And you find this when Paul actually writes another letter to a different church, the church at Corinth. You go to First or Second Corinthians chapter 8. Let me read it to you. Just listen to what Paul says, how he praises and commends this church of Philippi, along with some other churches who helped Paul out. Listen to what he writes. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. 
That includes Philippi. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And so what Paul is showing us here, right off the bat, he is showing us this link, this inseparable link between financial giving and gospel partnership. Gospel giving links you with gospel partnership. In fact, it is a three-way partnership. Notice this coming up on the screen. Gospel generosity united the Philippian church who gave with the Apostle Paul who went and the gracious God who provides. And so it is a three-way partnership between the Philippian church, the Apostle Paul, and God himself. And yes, God, the senior partner, he has the final say in this gospel mission. But what makes this partnership so unique is that the senior partner amply provides the resources of his junior partners. And then, as we will see later on here in a few minutes, he compensates them from the fullness of his grace and riches and glory. You see, that's the perspective on partnership that Paul shows his generous, missions-minded friends in Philippi. By God's grace, he says, listen, you are privileged to partner with me, participants in the gospel mission here. And so all peoples can know Jesus as the Lord and Savior in saving faith. So what does this three-way partnership mean for us here at LifeBridge? What does it mean for you? Even now, today... As you give your offering, if you brought it in a, in, a, in a check form or cash form and you put it in the offering plate or maybe last night or you made a transaction online or, or maybe it's automated, whatever the case may be. What does it mean? What does this partnership mean for us? Well, first of all, it means that through gospel generosity, you actually further the spread of the gospel locally and globally. And that's exactly what the generosity of the Philippian church did. From the early days of the church, they supported Paul on his missionary journeys as he spread the gospel all across Asia Minor. Sure, Paul did the traveling. Paul did the proclaiming of the gospel. But because they supported Paul, they were partners with Paul in spreading the gospel across Asia Minor all the way to Rome. And today, we are privileged to further the spread of the gospel through our own giving. Whether it's supporting our missionaries, our global partners that have been sent to go around the world with the gospel, or whether our giving is supporting the ministries of our church here locally. For example, your giving, it supports our Awana clubs. We can't do Awanas without finances. It takes money to do Awana clubs each and every Wednesday night during the school year. You're giving. When you give your tithes and offerings, it goes to support that ministry. And yes, all of our ministries here, but that's one to highlight. It also, your giving, it supports our upcoming community block party. And to host a community block party like we're doing, to be able to connect with our community, it takes finances. It is not cheap to do. 
It takes a lot of finances to do. We, we believe it's worthwhile. That's why we're willing to spend the money to do it. And so when you give, that's what your giving goes to support ministries like that, to further the spread of the gospel here locally but also globally. Number two, through your generosity, you supply the needs of gospel partners locally and globally. Paul says in verse 16, he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for what? My needs. Paul had tangible needs. And he says they did it once and again. And now the Philippian church is helping to meet Paul's needs in Rome while he's under house arrest, as we have already seen. Uh, when you're in ho- under house arrest and when you're in prison, they do not provide for you. You are dependent on others outside to help you with food, clothing, any kind of needs you might have. And so their offering went that they were sent by Epaphroditus went to help Paul in that way. That's what Paul's referring to when he writes in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. That is until now when they sent Epaphroditus to deliver their love offering to support Paul's needs in prison. And your giving does the same thing. Listen, the missionaries we support, Our global partners, they are real people with real needs. They require food. They have clothing needs. They have medical insurance needs. They need finances to support their family, their children, whatever, just like you and I do. That's what our giving through Faith Promise Missions, it goes to support them. So they can be sent with the gospel all around the world. As gospel partners, we have this unique privilege of meeting needs through our giving. And so I hope you see here what Paul is showing us, the relationship between your giving and gospel partnership. Yes, partnership involves much more than just money. But money is still important. You cannot carry out the gospel mission without finances. And so if you haven't already, let me encourage you, take a leap of faith, trust in the Lord, and start giving. Become a partner in the gospel. And if you already give, like many of you have and do, then know, as Paul says, and some of your translations say this in verse 14, know that you do well. Paul is praising this church. He is commending them for their gospel generosity. And he's commending you too. So the very first difference that gospel generosity makes is that it makes us partners in the gospel. The second difference is that giving pays spiritual dividends in heaven. Your giving pays spiritual dividends in heaven. Now look what Paul writes in verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, twice, two times in this one verse, Paul says, I seek. I seek. So Paul is seeking something here. In fact, that word seek, it's a very strong word that means to have a strong desire for something. So what is Paul seeking? Well, he wants the Philippians to know that he is not seeking their money so he can get rich. That is not his motive in this. 
So why is Paul so happy about their partnership? He's seeking the fruit that increases to their credit. That's what Paul is after. In other words, Paul wants the Philippians to bear fruit and profit eternally. Think about it. Who benefits the most from giving to God's work? You might logically come to the conclusion that, well, that's obvious. The recipient benefits the most. Really? Is that what Paul is saying here? Here, Paul says that the primary beneficiary of your faithful giving is who? It's you. When you give, you're the primary beneficiary. And I don't just mean the warm feeling you get inside when you help someone. Paul is talking about something that goes way beyond that. Paul is actually using a banking term, banking terminology here with this word increases. It's a banking term that refers to the multiplication of compound interest. In other words, Paul is saying to the Philippians, and he's saying the same thing to you and I here today. He's saying, get out your spiritual calculators. Your gifts to me are actually multiplying your own spiritual interest, which is going directly into your own account in heaven. So whenever you invest your treasure in God's kingdom, God deposits fruit into your account that pays out huge dividends. Whenever you give financially to support the spread of the gospel... You're not really giving anything away. You're investing in blue chip stock, and the dividends will last forever. As one author and commentator writes, the truth is the only money that we will see again is that which we give away, and that money will return with compounded interest. Now, Jesus said the same thing. Same thing as Paul's saying here. You go to the Beatitudes, not the Beatitudes, but the Sermon on the Mount. And there in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for your treasures in heaven. Why? Where neither moth nor trust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I just love what... Alistair Begg notes and says about this. Alistair Begg is a, is a pastor and author, and he says that while it's a good idea to have an IRA, that is an individual retirement account, he says every believer should also have an IEA, an individual eternal account. That is, we should be laying up treasures in heaven. And regarding one's IEA, he asks this question, what's in it? What's in your IEA at this moment? When did you make your last contribution to your IEA? Listen, the safest investment you can make, the surest investment that we can make with our resources is giving to God's kingdom work. Paul wants the Philippians to know that their contribution is not really diminishing their resources. 
Rather, they have invested those resources with the creator of all things. Their investment is secure and it will bring a return that is beyond their imaginations. That is the difference that gospel generosity makes. But it doesn't stop there. It keeps going. Notice number three. Your giving pleases God as an act of worship. It pleases God the Father as an act of worship. Paul says in verse 18, look at it with me again. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And then notice how Paul describes those gifts. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Three times here, Paul states that he's been given more than enough by the Philippians. In other words, Paul is saying, if we can say it in our language, that the Philippians blessed his sandals off. And if any church had an excuse not to give, it was the Philippians, since they were one of the most impoverished churches in Macedonia. But in spite of their circumstances, they gave, and not just according to their ability, but beyond their ability through the grace of God. Now, don't miss, though, what Paul says about their giving. He describes it as a fragrant offering. It's a sacrifice that is acceptable to God, well-pleasing to God. And so what Paul does here. He shifts the imagery from a bank to the temple, from the terminology of accounting to the language of worship here. Paul is saying that our financial gifts are like sacrifices laid on the altar to the very glory of God. And so the Philippian gifts, they were not payments to Paul. Listen, they were acts of worship to God. And by giving to Paul's needs, Paul is saying that you are offering divine worship, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And so Paul wants us to understand that your giving, it is not just related to your wealth in which we give proportionately. Rather, it's related to our worship in which it is pleasing to God. You see, from God's perspective here, when you give, it's as if you build an altar and placed on it your precious gift, your offering. And it brings a fragrant aroma into the very presence of God that is well-pleasing to him. That is the imagery Paul's using. And that imagery takes us all the way back to the Old Testament sacrifices. Just as the Old Testament sacrifices made a pleasing aroma to God, Paul says that our sacrificial giving does the same. Do you realize? Do you, do you, do you understand the magnitude of what Paul is saying here about your giving? He's placing the highest possible value on giving. That it is a means by which we worship God and it pleases him. Now, here's the question. What sense attracts you? That is smell. What smells? What sense attracts you? Well, here in Kansas City, it's got to be the scent of barbecue, right? That's what attracts you. 
I mean, the smell of meat cooking in a smoker. That's what attracts you. And sacrificial giving is a pleasing aroma to God, Paul says. This is one reason why we should give faithfully, why we should give even generously, because we want, we are compelled, we're motivated that we want to please our Heavenly Father. And no, it's not to earn salvation. We do not give to please God in order to earn our salvation. Listen, redeemed sinners do not give to pay for salvation or to earn salvation. Our salvation has already been paid in full by Jesus' death on the cross. And we say amen to that, right? So we don't give to pay for our salvation. We don't give to score points with God. We don't give to get on His, on His good side. Listen, we give to offer grateful praise to our Savior. We give because we want to worship Jesus. We give as a response to the grace God has shown us in Jesus Christ. And when you understand giving from that perspective, then you know that your giving is no burden at all. It is a joy. It is joyful act of worship that pleases God. That is the difference that your giving makes. Our giving really does make a difference. It makes us partners in the gospel. It pays you spiritual dividends in heaven for all eternity. And it pleases God as an act of worship. And it still continues. Number four, giving grows our faith in God's provision. It grows our faith. Paul now encourages us with this magnificent promise in verse 19. Where he says, Oh my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. One pastor and author, James Montgomery Boyce, he called this verse perhaps the greatest promise in the entire Bible. The Philippians were in, they were in need themselves. This is not a wealthy church. And yet they supplied what Paul needed to advance the gospel even while he was in prison. And now Paul assures them that God has not forgotten their needs, but will actually supply their needs out of his infinite resources. And so giving in this way, it grows our faith in God's promises of provision. In fact, we might say that generous Christians live on the promise that God will meet our needs. Now, let's unpack this promise because it actually is a three-part promise. And I want you to see this for yourself. Notice, number one, the source of the promise is who? The source of the promise is our God. Paul begins by speaking of God in the most personal terms. He says, and my God. My God, and I just love that, because God is not just any God. Our God is not a God. He's not another God. Listen, our God is the true and living God. And like Paul, every Christian here can boldly declare that God is my God. And nothing is impossible if God is your God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the source of this promise is none other than our, my God. That's amazing. 
Number two, the scope of the promise is God will supply every need of yours. And so this promise is all-inclusive. God will meet every need of the, gen- the generous Christian has. Now, at the same time, please do not think that this is some kind of unconditional promise. It's a conditional promise. God promises to supply your needs. Listen, that promise is embedded in the context of faithful, generous giving. God does not promise here to take care of the needs of believers who are stingy and do not give. On the other hand, if you are giving as the Lord expects, then he promises to supply your every need. But note carefully, God promises to meet your need and not your greed. And we all struggle with greed. And so this is not a blank check from God. This is not a promise that can be taken out of the context here of Philippians chapter 4 and even the greater context of Philippians as a whole book. And then apply it to every desire that we might have. The context, listen to me careful here, is God meeting the Philippians' needs that was created by their generosity to meet Paul's needs. In other words, God will supply the needs of those who are generous givers with more to give to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. This does not necessarily mean they will have more for their own personal use, but more to give for the sake of the gospel. And notice what Paul says. God, he says, God will supply. Will supply. That's future tense. And it does not set a date when God will supply your every need. But know this, God's provision will always be on time. That doesn't mean our time. It means God's time. And his time is not always our time. Which is why giving grows our faith in God's promise of provision. So the source of the promises are God. The scope of the promise is God will supply every need of yours. The sufficiency of the promise is mind-boggling. It is according to God's riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You say, how is God able to meet every need? Because right now, some of you are thinking, man, there are a, a whole lot of Christ followers across this world right now. I mean, in the millions, perhaps the billions. And if they're giving, and God promises to meet all those people's needs, how is that possible? How can God do that? Paul says it's according to God's riches in glory. The Philippians... Yes, they gave out of their poverty, but God gives according to his riches. And God's riches are inexhaustible. There is no limit to God's riches. Therefore, God is totally sufficient to meet every need that arises in your life, in your life, in your life, in your life, and in all the other Christ followers across our world. That's what Paul's emphasizing here when he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now notice where God's riches are. His riches 
God's riches, that is, are not in the stock market. Aren't you thankful for that? His riches are not in real estate. His riches are not in gold. God's riches are in glory. Absolutely, what that means is it transcends and it surpasses all earthly riches and wealth. And God's riches are received by who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. And so this is a promise not for unbelievers. This is a promise for those who have been redeemed by the grace of God and set apart as saints in Jesus Christ. Now, again, this does not mean life for you will never go without great needs. Now, just let that sink in for a moment. This does not mean that if you give generously, sacrificially, or whatever the case may be, that your life will now be free or exempt from needs in life. doesn't mean that. But it does mean that God, in his sovereign timing, in his wisdom, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Hudson Taylor, some of you may know that name. He was a missionary in China for 51 years in the second half of the 1800s. And after a very devastating time of loss and suffering there in China, he wrote these words to a friend. He says, I cannot read, I cannot think, I cannot even pray. And perhaps some of you have been there, done that, or maybe that's where you're at now. But he says this, but I can trust. I can trust in my father. And on one occasion, when his faith was stretched to the max, he wrote to a missionary associate these words. We have 25 cents to our account. Think of it. 25 cents plus all the promises of God. Oh, that we would marvel at this promise. Oh, that we would treasure this promise. And most of all, that we would trust in this promise. Listen, Paul himself is a living testimony of this promise. And through abundance and need, as we saw in his life last Sunday, he found that Christ is enough, and he found that he really can trust in his Heavenly Father's provision for his life. And so no wonder Paul breaks out this thank you letter with praise to his heavenly father in verse 20, where he says to our God and father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's as if Paul says he's writing this letter and he comes to this part. And he says, okay, now let's sing praises to our God and father. And he probably looks at the Roman soldier next to him. Come on, let's go. Whoever else is with me, let's sing. Let's praise God. He can't help it. He just bursts forth with it. It's just part of who he is when he considers all that God's done for him. Which brings us to the last difference gospel generosity makes. Number five, your giving. It leads to glorifying our God and Father. You say, why? Because we understand that anything we give is because God has already given us so much to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And so praise is always the proper response to God who has provided for our salvation and then sustains us 
spiritually and physically. Listen, the bottom line is this. When you give to advance the gospel, God uses your gift for His purposes and for His glory. And when Paul writes, Amen, which means, yes, so it shall be, or yes, that's the truth, we echo what Paul says here. We say amen with Paul. In fact, Paul is writing in such a way that when this letter is read to the congregation there at the church of Philippi, it invites them to respond by saying amen as well. And so when Paul says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen, and all the people would say in response, well, that was bad. I didn't set that up very good. And so when Paul writes to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever, amen, all the people would say, amen, in response. They would echo this. Paul effectively writes, what can we do here but praise God for his extravagant grace, his faithful provision in our lives, and his never-ending eternal glory. There's nothing else left to do but to praise God. All of this leads now to Paul's final greetings there at the church of Philippi and his final blessing in verses 21 and 23, where he says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now what is Paul saying here? In this final degree. I actually wish I had time an extra Sunday to just preach one whole message on these final three verses. Because these verses are powerful and there's so much in there and we only can glance over them. So here's a summary of what Paul is saying in his final greetings and blessing. We might phrase it this way. And that is we owe everything to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here with this greeting and blessing. We owe everything to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Paul began this letter with grace, and now he ends this letter with grace. This remarkable letter is saturated with grace. Listen, we are saints in Jesus Christ by what? By grace. We have a heavenly citizenship. How? By grace. We have the righteousness of Christ by grace. We have the peace of God by grace. We are partners in the gospel by grace. We need to know this grace more. We need relationships that are oiled in this grace. And we should praise God for His grace that brings us great joy in our journey. Listen, we owe everything, everything to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let us conclude this whole series by remembering the difference the grace of Jesus Christ makes in our lives in doing so through participation in communion. Without Jesus' death on the cross to pay for our sins, listen, we we would still be hopeless sinners, would we not? We would still be dead in the trespasses of our sins without the grace of Jesus Christ. But because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we have now been redeemed from our sins 
and set apart as saints in Christ by our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we owe everything to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, so let us now participate in the Lord's Supper and do so with hearts that are full of gratitude, full of joy, and full of praise to our God and Father. With your heads bowed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this challenging word here in Paul's letter. We thank you for what we've learned in this series and even what we have learned about giving from your word today. And Lord, it's convicting. It exposes our hearts that we are just prone to hold on to what we have. And so Lord, help us to see the reality of our selfishness and how it contrasts with the selflessness of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross in our place for our sins. And so now as we come to the Lord's table and we participate in communion, may we remember that we owe everything to the grace of Jesus Christ. And may we eat the bread and drink the juice with our eyes on Jesus and with hearts full of praise. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're welcome to grab your communion packet here. If you, and if you have it, if you missed getting one when you came in, you're certainly welcome to stand and go to the back there at the entryway and grab one of these communion packets. And here at LifeBridge, followers of Jesus Christ, that is, those who trust Christ for their salvation, those who identify with Christ in baptism and commit to his body and membership are invited to participate in communion. We believe the bread and the juice represent the body and blood of Jesus when he died on the cross. And it reminds us who our Lord is. It reminds us what he's done for us, what he is doing for us, and will yet do for us when he returns. And that's why we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come, because we look forward to that day, do we not? And it's all made possible by what Jesus did on the cross through his body that died in your place, the blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And so at this time, if you haven't already, you're welcome to open your communion packet and take the Lord's Supper.